Hey everyone, it's Wednesday, January 27th, 2021, and you're listening to an episode of the Charge or Die podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Eisleich, and I'm here to talk to you about the electric vehicle future that we are charging towards each and every day. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the updated Tesla Model S that was actually announced literal minutes before I recorded this show. Um, we're going to talk about the Chevrolet Bolt and Bolt EUV, some weird conclusions that can be drawn from a vehicle from the Far East, as well as uh, the big news that President Biden is promising to electrify the entire federal vehicle fleet within the next few years. Um, all that and more coming at you. Uh, of course, this is where I remind you that this podcast is available on basically every podcasting platform under the sun, uh, whether you're on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or so much more. Uh, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Feel free to share, like, comment. I don't know what you do on these things these days. This sounds like a YouTube bump and that's, that's basically what this is. Uh, if you want to follow along with me and my regular bullshit, uh, you can do so at twitter.com slash Iceman. That is Y-S-S-M-A-N. Uh, anyway, guys, after a quick little advertisement, we'll talk about uh, the new Tesla Model S. See you in just a moment. Well, kicking things off with the news section, it's the most relevant bit of news I've got for you on today's episode, and that is the... Uh, updated Tesla Model 3. Uh, they've got a whole list of upgrades that's coming with, I think it's technically a 2021 model, uh, including a refreshed uh, exterior with a slightly updated fascia, quarter panels, um, just general upgrades that make the Model S look a little more of the 2020s uh, than of the early 2010s. Uh, after all, the car has been around since 2013, which is really kind of crazy to think about. Uh, and this update really is the first major total upgrade of the car uh, ever, I think, I'm pretty sure. I mean, of course, there's been a number of upgrades to the battery, to the motors, to the software, so on and so on and so on. But this is a big deal because, well, this is the first time that the Model S has really been targeted by so many car companies uh, not just here in North America, but all around the world. Um, so yeah, I guess well, where do we really start? The exterior upgrades, you know, I think they look good. They make the Model S look a little more contemporary, a little more up-to-date, um, but you know, you're still going to know it's a Model S when you see one rolling down the street. Uh, mechanically, um, we'll get to the interior stuff in a second, because uh, that's where things get a little weird. But uh, mechanically speaking, you're basically getting the car that already exists. Uh, it sounds like there is going to be some power upgrades to the motors and the battery um, if you get the higher trim vehicles, but the standard, you know, $80,000 uh, 100D car is still going to be, you know, basically what the car is today. Um, so you're going to get over 400 miles of range. Uh, you're going to get all the supercharger network access. You know, you're going to get a pretty good up-to-date normal $100,000 EV, or sorry, $80,000 EV that uh, you expect a Tesla to be. Now, when you get up into the Plaid and the Plaid Plus models, that's where things start getting kind of crazy in terms of uh, performance and other things. Uh, Tesla is saying that these two particular models are going to be the fastest uh, vehicles that they produce and may actually end up being among the fastest road-going vehicles um, 
out there today. So uh, the Plaid and the Plaid Plus are going to have over a thousand horsepower. Uh, they're going to have a battery that's big enough, at least in the Plaid Plus model, to get you to 520 miles of electric range. Uh, these cars are going to be able to do like 10 second quarter miles and go 0 to 60 in less than 2 seconds. So probably 1.9 seconds. We're literally reaching the limits of adhesion when it comes to rubber tires. We're getting to a point where, you know, normal human drivers aren't really capable of getting all the performance out of this kind of thing. And when you consider some of the dumbasses that post videos of them doing bad shit with their Teslas, uh, it doesn't seem entirely responsible, is maybe a good way to put it. And part of me wonders, you know, in the back of my brain, at least on a napkin, how much further a Model S with that big-ass battery, but with, like, power levels like what the Model 3 has, like a dual-motor Model 3, uh, could go in total range. If you're not being able to dump all of that performance into those motors, you know, could you make, you know, a 550, 600-mile range electric car uh, in those instances? And I, I don't know if it necessarily works like that with Tesla, which, is, of course, is always the hard part, because really, in the end... What it boils down to is these Teslas are 5,000 plus pound uh, rocket ships for the street. And while that is cool to a great extent, um, it's kind of dangerous. And when Tesla, you know, makes the argument that, well, you know, our full self-driving system, autopilot, so on and so forth, they're going to prevent crashes and other things and keep people in line. Um, evidence has largely been to the contrary of that. So take it what you will. Overall, the big upgrade for the Model S, and the reason why I still like the Model S quite a bit, is the interior upgrades that the car is getting. Uh, looks like Tesla is giving the vehicle uh, updated door cards, an updated dashboard, uh, and one other big update we'll talk about in a second. But more or less, you know, it's bringing the car in line with the design language that uh, was introduced with the Model X, expanded upon with the Model 3, and I guess kind of sort of perfected with the Model Y is maybe a good way to put it. Uh, more or less the the big uh, square uh, infotainment screen from the Model 3 and the Model Y are being mounted straight in the middle of the dash. So instead of a longer uh, style uh, infotainment system like what the Model S has had for a long time, it's flipped horizontal. It's more normal. That's what a lot of other cars have today. Um, I don't think they specified what the size is particularly, but if I was to fathom a guess, it's probably literally the screen from the Model 3 and the Model Y inset into the dashboard. Uh, the Model S is retaining the driver uh, instrument cluster behind the steering wheel, which I think is a very good idea. Um, I don't particularly care for the way that the Model 3 and the Model Y have everything incorporated into the center stack. I get that it's meant to save costs and be more efficient for the manufacturing process, but in the end, you know, having your speedometer relevant car information and other things directly in front of you uh, just can't be beat. It's it's just the way it should be, and I applaud Tesla for sticking to it with this Model S. Uh, the new infotainment system, kind of ratcheting back to that for a second, does look like it's getting some pretty significant software updates as well. Um, that would probably include some pretty big hardware updates. Uh, the press photos show the car running the Witcher 3, which is very strange. Um, 
that would mean that the car has some pretty good processing power unless it's somehow able to stream games from either uh, Stadia or uh, whatever Amazon's thing is, which I've completely forgotten the name of. It's an interesting approach to doing things. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, I guess you could drive Roach across the the Witcher landscape or something with the steering wheel and brake and gas pedal. But uh, yeah, who really knows what exactly is going to happen there. So, of course, the big controversy, the part that I've been kind of dancing around, uh, is the steering wheel. And uh, I'm trying to think of a good way to visually describe the steering wheel uh, for the new Model S. And it's basically taking the Model 3 steering wheel and chopping the top off. Um, so you're you're eliminating a lot of buttons and switches and other things and having a little rotating dials on the left and right of the uh, wheel, but there's no top to it. Uh, the argument is that it gives you a more clear view of that uh, driver's information system that I, I applaud them for doing, you know, the, the regular gauges there up front. Um, the other argument would be from some folks that as full self-driving, in air quotes, and with bigger air quotes and asterisks around it, uh, continues to roll out that you are going to be interacting less and less with a steering wheel, so you don't need a full steering wheel. I... No, I guess, is what I would say to that. Uh, the other thing is that it looks like the steering wheel from Kit, uh, from Knight Rider. Uh, that, that's really the main thing I think Tesla's going for here. Uh, they're trying to get clicks and views on this gimmicky little design in this prototype for the new Model S. And I really don't think the, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is really going to let this fly. Um, you know, I mean, granted, I guess that the steering wheel has an airbag, you know, and it's functional, um, it'll probably be okay, but, you know, I think of someone like my mom, or my grandpa, or even my youngest brother, getting into a car like this with no, you know, full wheel, um, it just doesn't seem like the best idea, especially when you think of, you know, piloting the car through a tight parking lot, or, you know, in a bigger city where, you know, you've got to make tight controlled turns um you know not having a full steering wheel is problematic when it comes to controlling you know just the return of the wheel going around a corner so i'm not a big fan of it i got a feeling it won't make it into production i imagine it's there to stir up engagement uh about you know discussion of the car as we're doing right now um but uh yeah i i think on the whole, in the broadest sense of categorization, that's a tough word to say, uh, I think this Model S refresh is a very um, strong uh, accomplishment from Tesla. It seems relatively reserved. It seems like they actually thought about some of the decisions that they were making. And I think it's a pretty clear indication that they are definitely understanding that there is going to be a lot of increased competition in this segment uh, as time moves forward because, you know, not only is it Porsche out there right now, uh, Lucid will be joining the fray at the end of the year. Um, you've got uh, Mercedes-Benz coming out with an electric E-Class very soon. I mean, it, it's really adding up to a lot of competition, especially in Europe, especially in North America, and especially in China. And 
they've got to do what they can do to kind of stay out ahead. And, you know, mechanical, whiz-bangery, doodads, programming can only get you so far. Because in the end, you know, someone's still got to drive it every day. And if they're not happy with the way that the interior feels, you know, you can't really get away with 2013 uh, interior design and execution anymore. Um, you know, as much as I might say, yeah, I, you know, I think I would be pretty happy with a used uh, Tesla uh, 60 or 75 with rear-wheel drive um, and probably could make it work for quite a long time. Um, the car needs an update, especially if you're buying it new. So I think they did a pretty good job. But uh, after a quick little bump, we'll talk a bit about uh, some Chevrolet news and uh, some of the things that are maybe coming based off a Chinese model. Be back in just one second. I wanted to quickly touch on the Chevy Bolt EUV once again on this podcast because we have an official announcement date, which is February 14th, Valentine's Day, uh, that GM's going to pull the wraps off this thing. Uh, if you've been listening to this podcast for the last few years, you've heard me talk about this vehicle in many different ways because, well, it's largely been a mystery what the EUV is going to be. Um, we knew that it was going to be based on the Bolt's architecture, we knew it was going to adapt a lot of the Bolt's styling, and at least based on the photograph that they released with the press thing, it's, you know, it's a Bolt SUV. Uh, crossovers are really hot right now, and it really makes sense that, you know, GM would basically take the Bolt architecture, make it a little bit longer, a little bit taller, give it some tougher looking, uh, off-roady bits on the outside, and, you know, they'd let it go play with the Mustang Mach-E, the Model Y, the Nissan Aria, the ID4, so on and so forth. Um, what is interesting is that uh, some eagle-eyed people taking a look at these uh, press photos noticed that uh, the light designs, the creases in the sheet metal, all this kind of stuff looked very similar to the Buick Elite 7, which is sold in China. Uh, that particular model is also based on the Chevrolet Bolt, using the same battery, the same motors, and a lot of the same interior trim pieces. Uh, and it, you know, kind of points, I think, to where this seems to be going. Um, after all, this is a style refresh for the Chevy Bolt, and it's the introduction of the Bolt EV, which is going to just be a trim level here. And, you know, I think in the end, it kind of tempers a lot of my expectations going into this announcement. Uh, I've had a lot of hanging questions in the air about, you know, powertrains, uh, drive systems, infotainment upgrades, and so much more. And I think in the end, you know, realizing that this is literally going to be a bolt with, you know, bigger, slightly bigger... <laughs> you know, I think kind of paints a better picture. Um, what is also interesting, I think, is kind of comparing it to the Chinese model, the Velite 7, and kind of taking some lessons from where that is in the marketplace and applying it to here. Uh, in China, the Velite 7 has a total WLTP range of about 310 miles. Um, here in the U.S., we get graded by the EPA. The EPA tends to be much closer to what real-world range actually is. So in a lot of those instances, you knock about 20% off the top of that WLTP rating and you get pretty close to the EPA. That would put the range somewhere around 240 miles, which is a slight upgrade above what the Bolt is at today, but we're, we're really, you know, we're splitting hairs here. 
Uh, the other thing is going to be interesting uh, is price. In China, uh, the Valite 7 starts around the equivalent of $36,000, $37,000. Um, and then there's some uh, national, state, and local incentives that can knock that price down to less than thirty. dollars uh, GM has spent or sapped up all of their tax credits here in the U.S., uh, at least in terms of Chevrolet, so you don't get any of that there. Um, and I think there is still a little bit of a question as to whether or not GM is going to value price um, the Bolt and the Bolt EUV as they get relaunched, because as it stands, you know, previous Bolts that were sitting on dealer lots, 2020 models, had tens of thousands of dollars of incentives laid on the hood not that long ago, and you were able to buy, you know, a base trim bolt, a 2020 model, for right around $20,000 right off the dealer lot before any state or local incentives. And that was an amazing, crazy deal that a lot of people jumped in on. And, you know, to this day, I still think it's maybe one of the best new car deals of all time, uh, being in that, you know, price is good, infotainment system's good, I... Uh, no fuel spent, very little maintenance spent. Like, the only thing you'd really have to deal with is the fact that you're driving a Chevy if you wanted a Tesla. And in the end, you know, at least you could take it to the Chevy dealer to get worked on. So, anyway, that aside, I think the big question is, you know, is the Bolt EUV and the Bolt going to be a value-priced entry into this market? Because it seems to be, at least in the past six to eight months, it's kind of developed an expectation that if you're launching a 200 plus mile range crossover in this segment that's near premium is the word I'm going to use. You're looking about 40,000 um, bucks. The Tesla Model Y standard range starts right around 41. Uh, the Mo Mustang Mach-E starts right around, I think it was what, 39,000. Uh, the ID4 is going to start right around 40. Uh, the Nissan Aria, assuming a lot of things is probably going to start right around 40. Um, so it seems fairly likely that Chevy is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 grand with the Bolt EUV. Now, apples to apples, Chinese market car to American market car, I don't know if you can make the direct assumption and go, yeah, this is going to be a $37,000 crossover, which would be several thousand dollars cheaper than the Tesla Model Y. I don't necessarily think that's a guarantee that that's going to happen, but at least at this point in time, I go GM. You're bringing in a car that's going to be very different from what everyone else is offering. It's based on current technology. Uh, it's only kind of growing based on what we already have. Why not give it an entry-level price? And I think I think that's probably where we're headed. Um, you know, one that doesn't have Super Cruise, one that maybe lacks some more of the advanced safety features, I don't think it's the worst way to go because here's the other thing is that the Velite 7 in China is only sold as a front-wheel drive model. I don't see any indication that the Bolt EV here in the U.S. is going to get a dual motor set up. Um, and in that particular instance, you know, it really sets itself apart in a very big way to the Mach-E and the Model Y that are both rear-wheel drive architectures to begin with. Uh, and at least strictly in terms of performance, the Chevy is going to be a whole different ballgame. Uh, now, the Nissan Aria is going to be offered as a front-wheel drive model, uh, at least in international markets. I don't know if we're going to get it specifically that way here. Um, but in that instance, you know, could the Nissan maybe kind of dance where Chevy is, being a little bit less than where the market's at? 
you know, I don't know. It, it, it's going to be a very interesting play. Because the other thing here is that Chevrolet has the Ultium stuff coming just around the corner. Uh, we saw a preview of their new truck, what looks like a new crossover that's going to end up going to the Chevrolet dealer. Um, it's not going to be long until the Ultium cars that have more range and more power are available on dealer lots, and that's going to make the Bolt and the Bolt EV look really, really less than very, very quick. So, you know, we'll find out more in two weeks. I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot on the show uh, once we get closer to Valentine's Day. But, uh, yeah, in a roundabout way, I guess you could say I'm kind of excited to see what it is because I think, on the one hand, you know, we've been teased about it for so long. Two, you know, I'm here standing GM's EV uh, program as much, as much as I can because, you know, they've done a very good job over the past decade or so uh, going from the Volt to where they are now. And, you know, these seem to have been pretty responsible with making relatively good choices in that regard. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. So, anyway, uh, after the bump, uh, we're going to talk a bit about uh, some other big news here in North America when it comes to electric vehicles and, uh, well, the new presidential administration that just went into power. So be back in just a moment. Well, if you've been paying attention to the news, you probably saw that President Biden is making a declaration that the entirety of the U.S. federal vehicle fleet will need to be replaced by electric vehicles uh, within the next handful of years. Uh, this is a pretty big deal because he's also mandating that these vehicles be manufactured in the United States by American workers in order to be purchased by the federal government. Uh, this marks a pretty big departure from where they are currently at with the federal vehicle fleet. Uh, you know, you look at something like, you know, the fleet of Chevy Impalas used for, you know, safety and investigative uh, stuff by like the FBI and the, uh, you know, Justice Department, yada, yada, yada. You look at, you know, the military vehicles that are all gigantic relics from the 80s in many cases. Uh, you've got the Border Patrol using, you know, Ford Raptors to do whatever they do on the border. Uh, and then you've got, you know, you, the ubiquitous everyday vehicles that almost everybody comes across that are owned by the federal government. Things like the, uh, the Grumman's that uh, the Postal Service uses. And when you add it all up, all of the bazillions of miles, the the quadrillions of gallons of gasoline and diesel that these vehicles consume, um, you know, the United States has a massive carbon footprint, and a big chunk of that is done by the federal government, and switching everything to electrification is huge, the kind of impact that's going to be done strictly on the environmental aspect alone. It's going to be big, and it's going to also drive a lot of American car companies to invest heavily into platforms and technologies that are, one, going to be made here in the U.S., two, are going to be more robust and more reliable for the federal government's use, and three, ultimately, all of that investment is going to roll down into the everyday vehicles that you and I are going to be purchasing within the next, you know, 10 to 15 years. So thinking of stuff, you know, broadly, it's interesting to kind of put together a picture of who's prepared for what in the coming years. 
Uh, GM and Ford have spent a lot of money investing in battery technology and in partnerships to create platforms and general vehicle ideas that slot really well into this. So whether it's, you know, an electric F-150, the Mach-E, the, the, the Bolt EV, the, the new Silverado, you know, all these kinds of things that are going electric, they're there. Ford and GM have also invested a lot of money into van platforms. Uh, so GM has their bright drop operation. Ford has the partnership with Rivian with their van technology. Uh, in addition to their electric transit van that's coming out later this year, um, they've got some interesting entries into what could be federal vehicles. Uh, then you look at other car companies like Canoe, uh, potentially uh, Fisker, Lucid, uh, Faraday Future, I guess, to a greater extent. Uh, Nissan themselves, who build a lot of electric vehicles here in the United States. Kia and Hyundai are supposed to start building a lot of electric cars here. Um, there's a lot of room for these car companies to pick up contracts and start delivering vehicles that are, you know, going to be used a lot and are going to keep a lot of people employed for a long, long time. And it is interesting because of one particular car company that is not ready for this, uh, and that is Fiat Chrysler, I should say Stellantis. Now Stellantis in Europe uh, builds a lot of electric vans and a lot of electric uh, small cars, medium-sized cars, and I'm starting to wonder how quickly Stellantis is going, oh fuck, we need to do something right now. And it does make me wonder how quickly we're going to see, um, what is it? The, is it the Ducato? Is that the name of it? I might be misremembering the name. Um, brought over uh, from Europe to the United States with its electric powertrain, uh, just because Fiat Chrysler is going to want to have something. Because uh, the big juicy contract, I think, in all of this is going to be what replaces the Grumman uh, going forward. There have been a number of different postal vehicles floated by over the years, uh, some from Mercedes, some from Ford and many others. And if you were able to get that contract with, you know, a Peugeot-based van, a Ford-based van, a GM whatever-based van, um, that would be pretty huge. And those are huge guaranteed sales, and that's 20-plus years of part support that you got to put in there, um, which is going to offset your development costs in a massive way. And... It is, it is downright crazy to think about how big of a deal this is going to be. So it's going to be interesting to watch. It's going to be interesting to see what develops out of this. Um, if I was a betting man, I would assume that Ford and GM are going to be big winners in this. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't chuck too many other big car companies out of this quite yet. It's also going to be interesting to see if the federal government bets just on the big three or if they are going to do more with some of the smaller upstarts. Uh, I saw some people floating the idea that Tesla is going to supply uh, vehicles in this regard, and it, it seems kind of laughable at this point. Tesla, you know, as much as they build good cars in the broadest of sense, um, they don't quite have the parts network down quite yet, and that would be the biggest holdup for them in a federal contract situation. Um, you know, they would have to be able to produce door handles out the wazoo to to be able to you know fix things if they break or batteries or motors or whatever else and right now you know that's i think the big holdback for them so you know who knows there, there could be some model threes going into federal service i wouldn't doubt it but uh long term 
they'd have to make some pretty significant changes to make that happen. So again, I just kind of wanted to touch on, I wanted to kind of acknowledge the big changes that are coming and hopefully we'll have some more direct news to talk about in the not too distant future. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode for Wednesday, January 27th, 2021. Uh, like I said, up at the top, you can follow along with me on uh, twitter.com slash Iceman, that's Y-S-S-M-A-N, and you can follow along with episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash charge or die. Um, yeah, I feel like there was other electric vehicle news that was worth talking about that I didn't get around to. Um, weird things are afoot. I had a weird medical issue earlier this week. The stock market is doing crazy things. I don't know, man. 2021, weird year so far. Not as bad as 2020, but still weird. So we'll see what happens. Like always, if there's a big news story that comes through later in the week, um, you can bet we'll do a bonus episode of the show. Um, but in the meantime, uh, I hope you enjoy listening, and uh, we will see you on the next episode of the Charge or Die podcast. See you then. Thank <laughs> you.